progressive, respectful, mentoring, compassionate. These are the values of Palmdale Regional Medical Center. And now we proudly present Palmdale Regional Radio. Here's Melanie Cole. If you sleep poorly, you snore, you have morning headaches, or are fatigued or excessively sleepy during the day, you might have a sleep disorder. My guest today is Dr. Ruwanthi Campano. She's an ENT doctor and a head and neck surgeon and a member of the medical staff at Palmdale Regional Medical Center. Dr. Campano, who notices sleep disorders? Is it a loved one or are there symptoms that you would notice in yourself? Good morning, Melanie. Thank you. So basically, sleep apnea is recognized by the bed partners most commonly. So whoever, you know, your wife and whoever's sleeping in the room with you, uh, they notice that you have pauses in your sleeping. Usually it's accompanied by loud snoring. And and it's actually quite disconcerting when you see someone stop breathing while they're sleeping. Uh, And then it's also, you can notice yourself because some people say, I wake myself up from sleep. I snore very loudly. Or some people are literally falling asleep at the wheel. So they notice themselves that they're very fatigued during the course of the day. Who's at risk for sleep apnea? So anyone potentially could have sleep apnea. However, it affects males about uh, double women. Uh, If you are overweight, it can affect you more often. Uh, Patients who have body mass indexes of greater than 25 or 30 and higher if you have a larger neck size, which basically means you have, uh, you know, like 17 inches or more for men, 16 for women, and you have more soft tissue, it can block your airway during sleep. When we're older, our metabolism tends to slow, so we tend to be uh, a little bit heavier sometimes. Uh, and then either patients who are basically sleep apnea can lead to hypertension. Um, sleep apnea also can run in the family. So if your parents have sleep apnea, you might have a higher chance of having sleep apnea as well. Thank you for clearing that up. I was going to ask you if there is a genetic component to it. So then how is it diagnosed? If somebody notices some of these symptoms, maybe they're at risk or their partner says, you know, you're stopping breathing in the night like that, then what does diagnosis look like? So usually they come in there. It's usually a concerned loved one who says, you know, hey, this is this pretty scary. You stop breathing. So basically people have loud snoring or really frequently through the night snoring, the pauses, they actually choke or gasp for breath. And then a lot of times they're just really tired during the day. Uh, Or they say, hey, you know, I was in bed for eight to 10 hours and I just don't feel rested. Or they're having insomnia. They're having headaches in the morning. They're waking up in the night to go to the bathroom, especially with children. Sometimes they're wetting the bed, difficulty concentrating, memory loss. Um, They're irritable, just kind of grouchy because they're tired. Um, decreased sexual desire can also be associated for adults. And so apnea is a cessation of breathing. So you basically stop breathing because the brain recognizes, it's actually carbon dioxide, but we usually just say your oxygen level drops. The brain recognizes that and says, hey, I need to breathe. Wakes you up from the deep stages of sleep, which is REM sleep, which is where we dream. It's restful. You don't, sometimes people don't even know that they wake up. They just get out of that deep stage of sleep. You wake up, you gasp for breath because your brain is saying, hey, give me some oxygen. You gasp for breath and then you fall asleep again. But because you're not in that restful sleep, you feel tired. So you wake up just exhausted. People uh, are, you know, if they're sitting down, they're falling asleep. A lot of times I'll come into the office, uh, into the exam room and the patient's, you know, asleep and they've been in there for a minute or two. So they're just kind of nodding off. They're just constantly fatigued because they're just not getting rest. Now, some things can exacerbate that is if they drink alcohol, it loosens the muscle tone. So the soft palate, all that tissue in the back can flop and obstruct the airway. 
And so they notice that it's kind of worse on those occasions than others. So they come into the office and then we, I do an exam, see where the levels of obstruction are, and then we go from there. So then what? When you go from there, what does that mean? Is there medicational intervention, lifestyle changes, or do you right away look to something like CPAP? And if that's the case, tell us what that even is. So the first thing we want to do is have them get a sleep study. So the best sleep study is when you literally bring your teddy bear and you go spend the night at the sleep lab. However, that's uncomfortable for most people. And nowadays, insurance companies actually don't want to pay for it because it's about double what a home sleep study is. So they send the materials home. It's not as detailed, but they can check your oxygen level and the the fact that you're having the apnea events. They can't tell exactly what, you know, they don't have an EEG, which is the encephalogram where they put the monitors on your head and then they can actually watch what stage you are in sleep. But they can basically tell, are you stop, do you stop breathing or not? So they calculate something called an apnea hypopnea index, which is sort of the number of times you stop breathing over the number of times you sort of stop breathing, and then they do a calculation. So less than 10 is normal, 10 to 20 is mild to moderate sleep apnea, 20 to 30 is moderate uh, to severe sleep apnea, and greater than 30 is severe sleep apnea. So depending on that level would be how we treat patients. So if they have the sleep study and it says that they have severe sleep apnea, the gold standard of treatment is a CPAP machine. So people are kind of in fear of this machine. It's called CPAP. It's continuous positive airway pressure. And it basically stents with a column of air, a channel of air, all the floppy tissue that's in your throat that can obstruct. So when patients come in, though, I don't, that's not my first uh for sure treatment, but that is the gold standard because it for sure during we do a, a second sleep study, which we can titrate exactly the level of the pressure of the machine that would be required to eliminate that apnea. So 100% we know we can eliminate that apnea if we use a CPAP machine. There is an alternative called a BiPAP machine, which is a bi-level. So basically when you're breathing in, it's a high channel of air. And then when you're exhaling, because you don't want to really exhale against this wind tunnel, then it's more physiologic, it's more comfortable for, for patients. Also, if they have other forms of apnea, such as like a central apnea, that can also help. Uh, but they come in basically to the office. I examine them. So I look at sites of obstruction. So we had previously talked in the last podcast about snoring. Basically, snoring is air is coming in and hitting tissue and it's vibrating. But this is far worse than snoring. And so basically, I examine their nasal airways. If you can't breathe through your nose, however, you automatically start breathing through your mouth. So eliminating the nasal obstruction with surgery or medications could be of benefit, but it's not going to eliminate the apnea. So then we look at the throat. So you look in the the uvula, that's the punching bag, the thing in the back of the throat that dangles. You look at the tonsils if you still have them. You look at the back palate, the floppy portion of the soft palate. And then you look at the tongue. I think the tongue is a very large component for patients. So that goes and obstructs the airway. I look at see where their chin is in relation. It's called retronathia. If their jaw is a little bit recessed, the tongue is attached to the jaw. And so if their jaw is recessed, their tongue is automatically going to obstruct the airway. Then I do an endoscopic exam. I go through the nose and analyze the nasopharynx, which is the area behind the nose, and I go down to the throat and examine. I also have them do certain manipulations to see what collapses. So sometimes the lateral pharyngeal walls, which is the back part of the soft palate and the throat, collapses down or even lower. So there are certain surgeries that actually could be done that can treat sleep apnea. So for instance, if the tonsils are very large or the adenoids, which are sort of like tonsils but straight in the back of the nose, if they're obstructing, then we take those out. In children, for example, that's basically our treatment for sleep apnea. So we take out the tonsils, the adenoids, 
And then usually after any surgical intervention, I wait about four months for swelling to go down and we order another sleep study to see if the apnea is eliminated. And then in adults, you can take out the uvula, a portion of the uvula or the entire thing and a portion of the soft palate that's floppy. And then I kind of sew everything open so it's like a large arch. And then you can uh, do very complicated surgeries, which basically breaks the jaw, brings it forward. The tongue is tethered to that. There's other things we used to do for sleep apnea, um, such as, you know, taking uh, radio frequency and reducing the size of the tongue, other things like that. That tends not to be what we do now because the tissue kind of regrows and uh, obstructs again. So there's complicated surgeries, there's not so complicated surgeries, and then there's the CPAP machine. Dr. Campana, what if people don't want to use the CPAP machine? What do you tell them about adherence and compliance? Because that would seem to be one of the limiting factors in sleep apnea. Absolutely. Absolutely. So patients will come in and say, I just don't want, well, a lot of times it's also fear and fear of the unknown. So they'll come and say, I just don't want to use that machine. They've never tried it. You know, they said they had the sleep study and they put it on them. And a lot of times during the, they don't put the optimum mask on them. So it's not the most comfortable experience. So I usually just look at their anatomy and see why are they not able to tolerate the machine. A lot of times it's nasal obstruction. So if we can eliminate that, then they can breathe better. The most common mask is called a nasal pillows mask, which if you've ever been to the hospital, have surgery, there's those little cannulas of oxygen that we put in the nose. So we can put, it's something like that. So it's not as claustrophobic as some of the other masks. But if you have a lot of nasal obstruction, then you do need, you know, the nasal mask won't work. Uh, so sometimes people need a full face mask. If people have facial hair, sometimes you can't get a good seal with some of the other masks that they do use the full face mask. Now, if they absolutely can't tolerate anything, there's actually a dental device that the dentist, I I highly recommend only seeing a dentist who specializes in sleep medicine because a lot of dentists can make these night guards. But if you have one who actually specializes in sleep medicine, it's basically a, a contraption that they put in the mouth and then you kind of crank it forward. It brings your jaw forward. Now, you have to make sure you do some exercises in the morning to try to get that jaw to go back. Otherwise, you could start developing some TMJ, the temporomandibular joint dysfunction, if if you're doing that. But that's another possibility for patients who don't tolerate the CPAP machine. But a lot of these aren't covered by insurance because the insurance company knows for sure CPAP gets rid of the apnea. Um, These dental devices may or may not. Surgeries, honestly, may or may not, depending on your uh, anatomy. So if people have huge tonsils, then I know they have a good chance. But when you look at the statistics, about 50% of those patients, the tissues will become floppy again and they can have sleep apnea. And again, I also tell people to lose weight. So if you are overweight, there's more floppy tissue back there. So you want to try to lose weight. A lot of times, unfortunately, though, patients are so tired that they, they don't have the ability, they don't have the energy to lose weight to exercise. So uh, if a lot of times they'll use the CPAP machine and then they say, oh, great, doc, I have energy. They come bouncing in. It's it's just, it's very, but you're right, it's compliance. If they're not tolerating their CPAP machine, that's a difficult thing. So then we have to look at other options for them to try to get them to be compliant. Wrap it up for us then, Dr. Campano, with your best advice about if you recognize in yourself or a partner has recognized in you that you have a sleep disorder, that something's not right or you're really, really tired in the day, what you want them to know about sleep apnea and getting the help that they need so they can get that quality night's sleep that everybody requires. So I try to tell patients because it's it's not just snoring. You know, I tell patients snoring just bothers your spouse or the people on the plane, but it doesn't, it won't kill you. Sleep apnea will prematurely kill you. If you look at those big, huge football players back in the day, sudden cardiac death, 
untreated sleep apnea. So basically, if you think about it, your heart is a muscle. It's pumping the oxygen that it has to the rest of the body. It's physically a muscle, so it's getting bigger. The little tiny blood vessels supplying it don't work so well. And so then you can get a heart attack. Things can back up. You get lung problems and things like that. So sleep apnea is a very dangerous thing that can lead to high blood pressure, other issues, and including heart attacks and sudden cardiac death. So it's not snoring. Snoring just bothers people. Sleep apnea will prematurely kill you. So when patients say, you know, I don't tolerate that CPAP machine, sometimes, you know, they'll come in with their kids and say, do you want to see your daughter walk down the aisle one day? You may not because you might not be around. All you have to do is, you know, do certain things and we really can help you. You know, we could, there's, it's very difficult to lose weight after a certain time, but some people can do it. You know, it's very difficult to tolerate this machine sometimes, but some people can do it. Worst case scenario, if people really don't tolerate anything because the oxygen level is so important, sometimes I'll prescribe oxygen for the patient to use at night. And, you know, simply that could be a treatment. And then we do what we call a pulse oximetry test. We put something on their finger to check their oxygen level. So it's really important. It's not snoring. Snoring Pretty much everyone who has sleep apnea has snoring, but everyone who snores doesn't have sleep apnea. If there's a question, you have daytime fatigue, I would highly urge patients, go to your doctor, go to your ear, nose, and throat specialist, get that sleep study. Your cardiologist, a lot of times, you know, because it affects them directly with what they do, will order that for you. And base, and then, then see an ENT, see what your anatomy is like, see if you are a surgical candidate if you have sleep apnea, see if you need to use the CPAP machine, and then treat yourself for your loved ones, for yourself, everybody. Thank you so much, Dr. Campano. What great information. Thank you for sharing your expertise and explaining this so well and explaining the true health implications of untreated sleep apnea. It's so important for people to hear so that they comply and adhere to their prescribed regimen. Thank you again for joining us. You're listening to Palmdale Regional Radio with Palmdale Regional Medical Center. For more information, please visit palmdaleregional.com. Physicians are independent practitioners who are not employees or agents of Palmdale Regional Medical Center. The hospital shall not be liable for actions or treatments provided by physicians. This is Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for listening.